1: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello and welcome to In the Field, a new podcast from IB Times UK. Each week we talk to journalists and researchers, analysts and aid workers who are at the heart of the stories that matter. Last week we're talking China, and, you guessed it, Donald Trump. The President tore up the diplomatic rulebook a fortnight ago when he called the President of Taiwan after his election, but instead of kowtowing to Beijing when he realised his mistake, Trump went on the offensive, launching a vitriolic anti-Chinese tirade on his favourite social media outlet, Twitter. Then on Monday the war of words between Beijing and the soon to be most powerful man in the world escalated even further. China seized an unmanned drone in the South China Sea and, as we speak, has yet to return it. As Barack Obama, who still has a couple of weeks left in the Oval Office, tried to make nice with the Chinese, Trump again took to Twitter, telling them they could keep it. To help us understand what lies ahead for Sino-US relations, we're talking to Sean Ryan, an analyst and author that spent some 20 years living in China, and Samina Mistriano, a journalist who lives in Beijing. Sean Ryan wrote a piece for CNN last week looking at um, Trump's moves on, uh, on Taiwan, which he called uh, brilliant, some might say quite controversially. Sean, do you want to tell us a little bit about, about what your thinking was with that op-ed and kind of what you were trying to get across?
2: Sure, Orlando, it's great to be here. I think, you know, Trump is coming in and he's gotten heavily criticised by the American foreign policy establishment, Um, and I think for sort of upending the status quo by taking a call from President Tsai from Taiwan. Now, when I wrote the piece for CNN, I said that it was a good move for Trump to actually take the call. And I think it's a good move because it sort of lets everybody in Asia know that America is going to pivot in a much stronger way and not be a pushover to other superpowers in the region, like China, as many countries have felt the United States has been under the Obama administration. I also argued that Trump, by taking the call, is setting up the ability to be able to use Taiwan as a bargaining chip in order to get more important things with China um, done for American security interests, whether it be cybersecurity, North Korea, or an end of the protectionism, which is really creeping up in China today. So the article was written um, after the call with President Tsai, but before Trump started talking about whether or not he should really acknowledge the one-China policy, in a recent interview this weekend with Fox News. I think, and we can get into this more, Orlando, I actually think him stating or questioning whether or not the United States should indeed continue to acknowledge the one-China policy is very dangerous. And that's not brilliant, and that's something he should not have done, Orlando.
1: That was kind of, it almost came, it was one of Trump's kind of mad, middle-of-the-night tweets, wasn't it? I wonder whether he he will cease doing that once he's you know, in the Oval Office.
2: Well, it's a mistake for him to do that once he's president. So after January 20th, he needs to become more presidential. Yeah. But right now, what it's good is, because it puts everybody in Asia and everybody in the United States into an uncomfortable position. China now needs to think twice about expansion in the South Sea. Um, it needs to think twice about how it deals with Taiwan. And I think it's very smart that it's cheaper and it's much safer to take a phone call than it is to actually sell billions of dollars worth of military weapons to Taiwan. But once he becomes president, it's a very different situation. And I think Trump needs to you know, really look at a very fine line between pushing and controlling um, China in order to protect American interests. And crossing sort of a red line because the Chinese really feel, you know, the one-China policy is a non-negotiable, mm. and it's something that they are willing to sacrifice economic strength and well-being if somebody's going to cross that line. And they'll use military um, initiatives in order to ensure that they have a one-China policy not just in Taiwan, but in Hong Kong and in the internal areas like Xinjiang or in Tibet. And I think Trump needs to really understand that there's a big difference between, you know, pointing out and criticizing, say, Lockheed Martin, you know, Boeing, uh, you know, fellow Republicans or mm-hmm. even Democrats, because people in the United States aren't going to take a nuclear bomb and try to bomb the United States. But if you push China too far, they have weapons and they care about face. They care about the one China policy and they will push back militarily against Trump. It's a very different game that he's playing. But right now, I think he's playing it quite well.
1: But the, And that's interesting. So hypothetically, what does a Chinese military response look like?
2: Well, I think it could be something like what we saw during the Clinton administration when they launched some missiles near Taiwan. Um, I think you could see an increase of warships going out into the South China Sea um, and also going near Taiwan. What you've seen is under President Xi, the government has really been sort of slowing down the growth of the army, but he's really been putting a lot of money and resources into the Navy. It's a much more nimble, much more powerful fighting force than it was even just five years ago. So I think the initial military push would come from the Navy. The second thing is you're seeing that China likes to use an economic carrot as well as an economic stick to get what it wants. So instead of just pure military initiatives, it will often punish other countries by blocking trade. So for instance, Mongolia um, welcomed the Dalai Lama recently, and immediately the Chinese government blocked um, shipping from Mongolia into China. Right. Now that's a big issue since China is the biggest economic trade partner and pretty much the only buyer of Mongolian commodities. We've also seen this with China and South Korea. After South Korea said they are gonna put the THAAD missile defense system, what you started to see is China then blocked a lot of the Korean pop stars from performing in China. A lot of the dramas are not allowed in here. Um, so what you've seen is a lot of stock prices of Korean entertainment companies have dropped 20 to 50% in the last six months because China is using that economic big stick to punish South Korea from aligning too closely with the United States militarily. I expect that in the next three to six months, you're going to see some punishment meted out to American companies. It's going to be a rough time for American firms, um, but I think European firms are going to benefit from this.
1: It's interesting because when we spoke, I think, a couple of days after the, um, the election, you were talking about how one of Trump's benefits could be that he would fight for better uh, conditions for American companies. I suppose you didn't mean so much inside China, though.
2: Well, I think what he, what he can do inside China is, you know, sort of stand up and say to the Chinese government, look, the protectionism that's happening in the country is not acceptable. Some of the lack of ability for Facebook – Twitter or Google to access the China market is a big problem because foreign investment into the country obviously creates jobs here. It's good for China. It's good for the United States. So I think Trump is good to push back and can sort of end the status quo, which will benefit both nations. Um, I think he's making a mistake by criticizing China as a currency manipulator, um, because if anything right now, the Chinese government is trying to Um, appreciate the renminbi. I think if the China's government hasn't been intervening in the foreign currency markets, you'd actually see a much faster depreciation. So in general, China is actually what I would call one of the more responsible players globally when it comes to their currency policies and trade policies. Um, But Trump should criticize for the issues that really affect American interests, like protectionism, copyright issues.
1: I'm interested in how all this is being played out in the media, because again, we spoke after the election and we talked about how it was being received in the state media and on the street in China. Um, Has that reception changed since the whole spat over Taiwan?
2: Well, yeah, it has changed, and I think Trump is also making a mistake here. Initially, most Chinese were fairly welcoming of Trump. They liked his sort of big stick attitude. Um, Chinese like um, strong leaders like a Putin, um, and they thought Trump was going to be strong and be more pragmatic. Instead of criticizing China for human rights and political issues, Trump would try to do business. That was before the call. After the call, a lot of people said, well, why is Trump doing that? But you know what? We're not going to criticize him too much. And actually, the state media, I think, also is fairly low-key and saying Trump shouldn't do this. Um, Trump needs to learn more. But they weren't frothing at the mouth. It's only when Trump then started tweeting and started to say, maybe we need to rethink the one China policy. That's when you saw two things happen in Orlando. The first is the state media went after him, said that he was naive, didn't understand things. And then second, you started to see him losing popularity amongst everyday Chinese people. Whereas before they liked his strong tone and they liked his rhetoric, they're now saying, well, wait a minute, why is he attacking China for this sacred one China policy. Mm. He's going over the line. He's creating a dangerous situation that could lead to war. So he he really needs to slow down on that because he's alienating Chinese and he's really creating, um, you know, I I think the situation that could cause to military friction.
1: And we've, we've talked about this before, but I mean... You've lived in China now twenty years. Um, you've been, uh, and yet you, you've written about it. You've written two books about it. Um, how how easy is it for you to write something like the column you wrote, which which is quite a controversial line in a lot of ways? Um, and, and are there any any risks to to writing as a foreigner from that point of view inside China?
2: Well, I think it's important that everyone knows that I am fairly supportive of China's communist government. Um, you know, I think overall, I've been in China about twenty years now. And I think my opinion on them is very similar to most Chinese. I mean, you look most surveys from Anthony Seitz at um, Harvard Kennedy School of Government, as well as the Pew Center, says that about 80 to 85 percent of Chinese support the direction the central government is taking the country. Mm. And I would fall into that. You know, I'm generally supportive. That said, um, I think you are allowed to criticize Um, and push them into a way that you think would strengthen China. And I think it's very clear that I'm not criticizing China because I don't like China, that I'm not criticizing China in order to contain it. I criticize in order to strengthen. I think the government is fairly open to hearing different voices, as long as it's constructive and trying to strengthen the nation um, rather than put it down. There's also a degree of self-censorship. Yeah. within, within um, the state media here, you know, and within the country. I think there's a line that people know that you can't cross.
1: And so how does, in, in light of that as a kind of conclusion, you were saying constructive criticism, how should China now deal with, with someone like Trump?
2: Well, I think China um, needs to be the responsible player which they're becoming. Okay, so I think first you have President Xi Jinping is going to become the first Chinese president ever to go to Davos for the World Economic Forum in January, or at least that's what the rumors say. He's also saying, let's push for free trade, because at the end of the day, you know, Trump is saying, let's take away TPP, let's take away free trade. But at the end of the day, free trade benefits most people in the world, and it certainly benefits the nations of Asia. Okay. everybody's seen, you know, poverty has been alleviated over the last 30 years because of free trade. So what China needs to do is come in and show that they're the responsible player, show that they're open for business, show that they want to create good, positive trade deals with their neighbors. And that's what they've been doing. You see the Philippines, you see Malaysia have both gotten a lot stronger to China over the last three months, even though most American pundits Said that China was straining ties with the South China Sea with its neighbors, but that clearly is not the case. Um, China needs to take the lead in, you know, with their new One Belt One Road initiative, as well as the Asia Infrastructure Bank that they're spearheading. Mm. It's really clear that the world is looking for a economic superpower. Then China can really fill in that vacuum, because a lot of the world's nations, really frankly, are puzzled. And they feel insecure about Trump and what their nation's relationships can be with him. Because the guy clearly doesn't have a moral compass in terms of he signs an agreement and sticks by it. He's the type of person, it seems, that will constantly renew and renegotiate agreements in order to better his own business. And that works when you're a real estate developer putting in a casino somewhere. But it doesn't quite work when you're thinking in 20. 50 100 year periods with other nations that view you not as somebody they dislike but view them as an enemy
1: yeah thanks so much for your time sean thank you selling a little or a lot Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work.
0: When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market.
2: Orlando.
1: And now over to Samina. Welcome, Samina. Uh, Samina is a Romanian journalist based in Beijing. She writes for our courts, Al Jazeera, and also IB Times UK. She's been there about a year and a half. So Samina, what's going on over there with regards to this latest news about the drone and Trump and so on?
3: Well, uh- the Chinese state media are tackling this issue. I mean, they write about everything that Trump tweets about right. at this point. And uh, the latest issue was, of course, the, the drone that the Chinese uh, captured in the South China Sea area, and the Chinese government declared that it would uh, return it to um, to the U.S. in um, in the right circumstances. They said said something along those lines. But then, of course, Trump tweeted that China should keep the drone. <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then the next day, the, the Chinese state media uh, started writing about the issue. The China Daily, which is an uh, English-language uh, newspaper that is state-owned owned by the Chinese government, said today that uh, Trump's inexperience in diplomacy might lead to confrontations between the two nations. Uh, And also Global Times, which is also a pretty prominent publication, said that Trump's demeanor is, quote, unquote, uh, lagging far behind the White House spokespersons. So I think at this point, Trump is scolded by the Chinese media and also there are specialists who are saying that if Trump continues along these lines after he takes office, the Chinese government might become more harsh i guess yeah
1: aggressive what about on the streets i mean are people because uh, obviously the didn't they the chinese government used the newspapers kind of as their mouthpiece to the world particularly yeah. the, the english language ones but on on the streets of beijing i mean are people are people talking about it do they are, the, are they skeptical about the whole drone thing do they think it was some sort of you know espionage as, as i understand has been suggested well
3: i don't know if the chinese like if people on the street get into so much detail right. uh, when it comes to like daily news not many of them follow international news or like news that concern uh, china internationally on a regular basis but i think there's a lot of interest among people in china for trump in general yeah i think there's there's a there's a weird fascination for him and a lot of the people that Chinese people that I've talked to over the past few months have said that uh, Trump is interesting and he's uh, he's uh, fascinating to watch and he has an interesting personality and of course I think a lot of people also recognize that he is an unusual world leader so they are watching with interest the interactions between him and the Chinese government but. I think I think Trump is almost seen as a or as a caricature. Yeah. He is prominent. Like for example a Chinese woman was was telling me that I mean Chinese are used to 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 being exposed to strong male political leaders and she said that even now after the election I, that was right before the the final election in the US um, but she said that even after months of campaigning in the United States, when she heard the name Clinton, she still thought about Bill Clinton, not
1: right. about
3: Hillary Clinton. Interesting. So I think, yeah, I think it was easier for Trump to get you know, Chinese people's attention than it was for Hillary Clinton during the campaign. I
1: mean, I, I would have thought that the kind of issues that we've been upset about here, the uh, the kind of the allegations of racism, of sexism, I would have thought that they would have been felt in China as well.
3: Again, I don't think people follow those things in that much detail. Right. I think also the Chinese government has been good at painting the election and the result of the election in a way that serves its cause. Meaning, meaning Trump is kind of an example of what can go wrong with democracy, and the state, Chinese state media have 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 mocked him, and they have had lots of occasions to do it. Right. So I think some Chinese people also see that as a as an example of how democracy can go wrong.
1: And what about fears of? Do, do people talk about the kind of worst case scenario fears of like conflict with the U.S. or low level or you know some sort of military engagement over the South China Sea? Do, do people think about that, or is that too kind of going too far?
3: I haven't I haven't heard anyone talk about that. I think I think it's. I mean, maybe people think that, but it's not... I mean, conflicts of this sort are not necessarily a topic that comes up easily in conversation here.
1: Yeah, I suppose people are quite guarded, aren't they? They don't want to perhaps talk about issues like that, particularly with a journalist.
3: Yeah, and also, I think the South China Sea is not... Yeah, it's not usually a topic of conversation here. It is much more so in in the West and in, in the media, but I think... People, regular people, don't don't talk so much about the South China Sea. I think Trump is a much more appealing and easier topic uh, for them than than something that's quite delicate and yeah. complex, sensitive. Yeah, sensitive. Yeah.
1: Thanks so much for your time and uh, good luck. Thanks for talking to us.
3: Sure. Thank you, Orlando.
1: So that's the situation over in the Middle Kingdom at the moment. We've included rich links to some of Sean's columns and Samina's articles in this podcast. So if you're listening on Acast, be sure to go back and check them out. There's also plenty more news and analysis on the website about China. For more information, go to ibtimes.co.uk. Lastly, if you like this podcast, please subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. We're taking a break over the festive period and we'll be back in the new year. Have a good Christmas and take care.